and welcome to the Eastern Kicks podcast, a regular magazine program about East Asian film led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and grandmaster of EastonKicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. Hey, Each episode, we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news, and festivals, often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. This edition, James and I are once again doing something a little bit different and revisiting a classic, which, can you believe it, is nearly a decade old. I can't believe it. I'm not going to believe it. I refuse to believe it. Peter Chan's Wuxia, aka mm. Dragon, starring <laughs> Donnie Yen and Tang Wei, and also uh, Takeshi Kaneshira. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But firstly, before we get into the film, let's get to the important business of mm. what are you drinking, James? For the first time in the history of Eastern Kicks, I'm not really drinking cheap whiskey or cheap wine. I'm drinking a very fancy sake, Dasei 45. Very, very nice. <laughs> what have you got, man? And me, I've got another of our Halling Hops friends, nice. uh, boozes. It's called Drag Race Johnny. It's a <laughs> Nipa, uh, 6.7%. <laughs> very, very decent indeed. Uh, here's to it. Cheers. Ooh, ooh, that's nice. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on to the film. I was mm. fortunate enough to chat to Peter Chan shortly yeah. before it's the film's UK release as Dragon. Yes. Um, and we'll come back to the <laughs> the question of the different titles <laughs> during this podcast. But um, I mean, yeah, the time it was it was quite an interesting film for Peter Chan to do because when he started out, he was he he was basically known for his kind of contemporary dramas in Hong, set in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I, I mean, for me, my kind of intro to him was, you know, Comrade's mm. almost a love story and stuff. But yeah, most of his stuff was kind of contemporary, you know, contemporary, whether it's drama or romance, but, you know, but that kind of uh, sort of modern experiences of people type thing, everything before he kind of jumped into like doing a few ones, you know, back to back, like uh, period films mm. and everything. So yeah, it was so Dragon kind of coming at the stage in his career after some of those other period films makes sense but you can see there is there is like a quite a sudden change i, I guess in his career at that yeah. stage where he shifted to making those making those kind of historical period whether they're action or drama type things i mean he always retained his own sort of filmmaker character even when he was making those films which is what i think makes so many of those films whether it's like the warlords and stuff like that very good films mm. so they have much more solid grounding in character i think than some of the other more lightweight, I guess, films other you know blockbuster filmmakers are making about the time. But but yes, yeah, so, I mean, Dragon kind of following on from them. Although Dragon is still, as we'll talk about more, is still different to those other films. Very yeah, I mean, you know? he did when we spoke. He was quite candid about why he was making these period films. Mm. Mm. Uh, because there is always a a a a uh, cultural sort of um, difference between. Hong Kong and China is very, very different. Yeah. You know, we speak different languages and we have different different system and, and uh, culture and everything else. Uh, it made uh, us uh, almost impossible uh, in the last few years to be able to shoot films 
about contemporary China because we never lived here, you know. Uh, uh, and uh, so the end result is warlords, bodyguards and assassins, Wu Xia, you know, we made a few uh, period action films, which is not my forte to start with. But uh, that was easier, even though it's not my forte, than to make a contemporary film because uh, I'm not mainland Chinese, you know. But yeah, even then, I mean, this felt like quite a a different mm. take. In some ways, the title, the original title, Wuxia, mm. is is very generic. Yes. But yes. in some ways, in hindsight, you could kind of see it as a statement of intent. Definitely. Yeah, you know, that, that he's taking the whole kind of classic mm. Wuxia mm. setup. You know, I think some people, I seem to remember at the time, there were comparisons made to history of violence. Yeah. Uh, yes. That's. <laughs> I didn't. I can't. I, I can't remember. That's. There's a very. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a very. That you have a character whose past is, is quite sordid, and he's left that well behind. <laughs> that's him. sordid. You, yeah, that sounds <laughs> no a bit. Intended. Sounds a bit sleazier. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, you're right though. It is. It, it's gonna. There's definitely a similar kind of a setup I guess you'd say it's history of violence mm. but yeah it's, mm. it's a very it is very different both to I don't know I, I think kind of at that stage I think a lot of people's understanding of what wuxia meant as well was probably quite different to how this film is too this film kind of wuxia harks back to the more for me like older older school like Shaw Brothers wuxia yeah I think for a lot of time that wuxia for people it kind of maybe taken on more kind of like fantastical Kind yeah. of feel like that, you know. It, I mean, not necessarily like zoo warriors and everything, but I think there was kind of a more blurring of the line between the original kind of like wishy, like historical, not swordsman necessarily martial arts, but that kind of setting to something which would maybe more like you know the kind of Hong Kong legends, everything like that happening. So calling this wishy is it's an interesting one, you know, because it, it, it when I before I saw wishy uh, itself, not dragon for mm. the first time, like uh, I. I was slightly surprised by it, kind of on that regard, because I when I when I hear wish, I fully admit I, I I you kind of think of something still like a bit epic, I guess. Yeah. Sweeping. Yeah. And I, I mean this in a in a great sense. I, I think wish is an amazing film. I really like it. Mm. You know, the word wuxia still to me has connotations of like fantasy, you know, or whatnot and everything like that, or at least a bit of flying through the air is where. In this, even when he jumps on the rooftops a bit, he still he's jumping between roofs. He's not yeah. kind of like crouching tigering or anything like that, but. Because this came, what, about 10 years after Crash and Tiger? 11 years? I guess it would have been about. 11 yeah, years, yeah, I think. Yeah. So for a lot of people, that Crouch and Tiger was still like wuxia. And that still had like the bit of wire work. Not quite flying, but that you know mm. that kind of aspect to this. Whereas this is still a lot more grounded in the way some of those Shaw Brothers ones, which this is harking back to at the time. Although this, you know, wuxia, this wuxia is still like, it's an interesting mix of the modern and the kind of traditional. Because it, it takes place in, what, 19... 17, 18, something like that. And it, but it's still like set in what you know, it looks you, like could, could be any time in the yeah, yeah, exactly. 15, 1600s or, yeah. Exactly. And, and it's only like uh, Takashi Kenoshiro's character with his kind of like a newfangled modern ways and mm. his knowledge of the psychology and like the physiology, pressure points and the pressure points. Yeah. But, but even his knowledge is kind of a really interesting combination of sort of what you could say Western and modern Chinese medicine. And everything so i think if you combine that with wuxia's look at kind of um even just comparing it to like the one-armed swordsman it's like depictions like masculinity whatnot and everything like that i think it's quite different 
to those as well. Not necessarily just updated, but I think it's quite different. Kind of its take on it and everything like that. Mm. In a good, in a very interesting, yeah. very good way, especially given the cast it actually has. You know, you know as well. Who all obviously were associated with certain kinds of roles and everything. And I think I mean it's interesting in the way that it came at sort of the tail end of all these films being made by Hong Kong directors. Yeah. Doing the kind of kind of reviving all the old mm. Will Shower and stuff, and it was actually much. I mean, some of them, some of those films, like film like Free Kingdoms and stuff like that. Were, Resurrection of the Dragon, was it? Yes, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're absolutely we're, we're way way too simplistic <sighs> in any form to be generally fine. I guess we yeah. can say. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, yeah, I, I know what you mean, and but I, I think it feels different to them, and I think it feels different to the other ones. You know, he did himself, like you know, warlords and stuff like that, or he he what produced bodyguards and assassins, right? I mean, I think it's very mm. different to those as well. I think this one feels much more like a mixture of like a Peter Chan film combined with, you know, that kind of throwback to obviously, you know, the, say the one-armed swordsman and then the whole general wishier thing. Because this, I mean, this has got like kind of noir elements, mystery mm. elements, you know, it's, it's got the kind of like bit of family drama, everything yeah. in there, as well as obviously the martial arts. But it's got kind of a, you know, watching it again and prep for the podcast again, there's kind of like a, not a massive fan. Of a you know Kurosawa type influence, I'd say in there, and the way the story plays out, mm. because we're kind of seeing what happens, what your man kind of Shero kind of imagines maybe or or sleuths yeah. it sleuths yeah. his way into thinking about what yeah. happened, and then you know then we see like the cause and what goes on afterwards. <laughs> 还说，哀家都是做屠夫的。屠夫，你到底是啥子人？How did Wusa come about? I've read it began as a conversation between you and lead star Donnie Yen over your love of martial art films from the sixties and seventies. Yes, it, it all started kind of like that because uh, we were both big fans of Shaw Brothers movies, and uh, I mean, being born a year apart and. Uh, that was really our generations of um, big movie icons. I think that was my first movie uh, uh, influence before uh, other Chinese classics or Hollywood classics. I think to me, that's my first movie experience in the late sixties. So, how did that 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 love of uh, the Shaw Brothers sort of manifest itself into a, a film? Um. So, well, first of all, we were both big fans of um, one of the very first films we've ever seen. I mean, I think I remember that probably being one of the the the, the earliest memories stuck to me is the legendary One-Armed Swordsman. And, um, and uh, it's a very simple story, and, and uh, it was actually a revolution for that time. Yes. Uh, yeah. In terms of martial arts film, I mean, it, it's it's much more uh, kinetics and the shots will break up uh, much more in detail uh, as opposed to previous films who were much more stage and, and wide shots and stuff like that. You know, you have cut to close-ups and, and the montage, the editing was a lot, lot stronger and more kinetic. Uh, that was filmed made in 67. 
and um, and and I think that sort of changed the landscape of martial arts film, uh, which basically was the um, the basics uh, uh, for further developments on martial arts films uh, from then on. And uh, we were both big fans of that film. I remember, you know, every kids around the block were pretending that they only had one arm and then was <laughs> holding a broken knife and stuff like that. I actually, because my father worked um, at the Shaw Studio uh, as head of promotion at the time, I actually remember visiting uh, Shaw Studio and went to the actual locations and holding... Uh, prop swords from the department, you know, uh, oh, wow. from the props department and took a picture pretending <laughs> that I, I was Wong Yu, you know, I was Jimmy <laughs> Wong Yu. So I think, I think it all came about like that. And, uh, and, um, we wanted to make a movie that has a very simple story, uh, a very typical simple, uh, Jiang Hu, Wuxia story about a, 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 runaway convict um, uh, trying to live a new life and then his past comes back to haunt him uh, which is a very classic martial arts story you know uh, at least of the 60s and the 70s mm -hmm. and um, and to me it was my first true martial arts film even though I've done a few before that that is period uh, may, might have been sold as action but they're really much more dramas mm. than action and this is really the first film that I really wanted to be more action centric and 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 less less uh, about the story and and everything else. But but then again, um, you know, every director could only do something that 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 he could relate to. So in the process, uh, working with the writer and in the process of next year developing the script, we ended up putting a lot more character-driven stuff that are much more complex than than most of the original simple martial arts stories that I wanted to make. Mm. Uh, uh, and by adding the character of uh, Takeshi Kenashiro, by adding the um, the um, the conflict between between law and humanity and uh, 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 crime and punishment and uh, and ultimately. Um, the showdown with his own father—that uh, the you know the it, it, it actually all runs in the family. You know, it's genetics. You know, the his his violence and everything comes from 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 his father and, and all that. We should kind of go into the story in a bit more detail. Uh, so I was wondering how much did yeah that's kind of the question. How much this because it is it is a miss. I think for me the mystery is kind of the element of it. I mean you know mm. there's something about Donnie Yen's character, but yeah. I think it does play out in a fairly unexpected kind of way. And I think there's this whole thing where which is great. because you're not you you very quickly become aware that okay so there, there's what happens is these couple of thieves come into this mm. in start throwing up a bit of trouble yeah and then he ends up sorting them out. And what you see initially in that fight is mm. it's quite chaotic. It's obvious that this Donnie Yen character knows mm. how to look after himself. Uh, but then that gets reinterpreted by this basically detective, detective yeah. type um, who he's played very much in a, a very old school, almost mm. kind of like a... I mean, and this was quite a lot of the characters were like this at, at this time in Hong Kong, remember, but he's yeah. very much played out like a bit of a Peter Falk Colombo almost. He is, of, yeah. Whack, he, he slightly, is. slightly yeah. wacky guy. 
Um, mm. In the same way that we see with uh, Mad Detective, and yeah, to yeah, a certain extent with um, a touch of that, uh, yeah. Detective D, that's you know. That. But his the character's name, uh, his name is Baijo. <laughs> but that yeah. well, okay, no, let's qualify. So that's how it's written in Pinyin mm. is Baijo. Mm. But <laughs> so for me, uh, I I find that interesting. He doesn't drink in the film or anything like that. But Baijo is a name. I, I can't think why you you would name him that unless it's like a weird literal translation of the character mm. and it means something completely different like man who does not drink <laughs> <laughs> i don't know but. but increasingly you think well this guy is 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 he even right you know mm. and and the the donnie Yen character is is it seems you know everybody in the village loves him yeah he seems all quite he's above nice. board he's so nice to everyone yeah he's so damn sure he's always smiling doing whatever he can for folks yeah looking after his kids yeah, everything's always. fine and yeah. you know and then you know and then as the thing progresses you suddenly realize mm. actually there is something mm. to this guy yeah um there is a lot more behind what what he's he's saying is and you start to find out more about his history yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's as the film's got like michael bay moment uh, there, there's a there, there's a direct like a bad boy scene in there everything you know they seem like shit just got real you know we swoop in low with a telephoto and it mm. kind of zooms around and he goes ah, if, anymore, it's not really a spoiler if you've seen the trailer you, you know what it's about anyway but you know he's standing in the marketplace and you know things are happening and everything and suddenly he just <laughs> the eyes kind of narrow the fit you get close up with the fist and then you can hear ba 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 ba. Not not really not the bad boys music, but the camera kind of swoops in low, and where he's standing alone, like mm, that's when shit just gets real. Yeah. And it, but it's a it's a just as in bad boys, it was a powerful moment, and wish it's a powerful moment too. Uh, and I love the pace. I mean, we'll get more into the, the different versions of this. Yeah. But yeah I love sure. the pacing of this. That it's mm, definitely. I think you know. A lot of films, a lot of action films, you kind of, you know, you're there waiting for the action to yeah. happen. Um, and, you know, and the rest of the film might be incredibly boring, but this one yeah. actually is so much about building up the character and the storyline. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It doesn't, you don't feel, che- you're not cheated by the action because that's absolutely fantastic when it comes along. Yeah. But you, you also, you, you quite enjoy going along for the ride. It's one of the few that I think mm. really gets that, that balance between the two. Sure, just, I, just I definitely agree, and I think a large part of it is because how I suppose when we compare both when we compare it to like get you know the the one armed swordsman and stuff like that, this, this is like not a poor faced film. It's actually quite fun. Yeah, and, uh, Wuxia as well. Like it's got a lot of weird, wacky, really weird, wacky moments in it as well. Some of which you're not sure really happen or not. Like uh, when he and some of the stuff like kind of shares uh, Baijo does to him is just bizarre when he's trying to find out whether he's you know, his theories are right. He you know, kicks him off a bridge. And he falls onto a tree and he's like, he, and everyone is like, ah, he's going to drown. And then he's suddenly going, hmm, look at his weight distribution on these tree brands. <laughs> he just walks up and he stabs him. He, 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 he gets him a with sickle. a Yeah. He just gets him in the market. <laughs> and it's like, he's not arrested for it either. But it's just a very awkward moment where everyone's yeah. looking at he's He's just hit him with a sickle. <laughs> but it's funny. It, but it, and that's I think that's one of the great things about this film. It's, you can't even call it like a shifting tone like in the sort of Wong Jing Hong Kong kind of way it, it, no, it, it all makes sense it yeah. all comes together really nicely and the fact that it doesn't take itself it's not that it doesn't take itself seriously because it's got some it, it's dealing with some of the ideas of the you know, kind of like masculinity and moving on from your past and whatnot, or dealing and, with and, very, and very separating well, yourself from um, your parents expectations I think which is something that I can definitely relate to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, it does get quite threatening for the kids yeah. and stuff in yeah. places you know it's 
it, it is a film. I think maybe even more than some of Peter Chan's other films. It's a really, really clever kind of bouncing act mm. all the way through the film into a really, really good coherent whole and everything. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, and it is, whether you see it as a martial arts film, whatever wuxia technically means now, a noir film, a mystery film, everything. It's it's it's, it's all of these. It's and all more. I, and, I, and I think one of the things that, you know, I mean, again, it doesn't explain everything. You, there are some beautiful <laughs> no. subtexts. I mean, yeah. kind of go into some of the cast that, that turn up. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's the bit when Kara Hoy turns up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, suddenly you realise who he is. And yes, okay, this is spoiler time, but this is a special about this film. So you're going to need to know the plot for us to talk about it. Yeah. Um, his clan basically mm, start turning mm. up and they find out he's there and there yeah. is this effectively it's really little more than a fight between mm. Karahoy and him yeah, but yeah. there's so much depth to the to the, to the the way they play it out you know mm, there's a history mm. between them you know maybe they were yeah. Or lovers or something. It's just obviously so much going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the casting of this film, you know, sometimes deliberately, sometimes what Peter Chen does very well is is that he builds on your expectations of these these people. Mm. And we'll come on to that with with Jimmy Wang here, but with Carl mm. and I, you know, you, you he builds on on their characters. Definitely, you yeah. know, so they're not something you have to kind of buy into. Or oh, why is they doing that? Why are they doing this? You know, mm. you, um, even the fact that that, that Tang Wei is, is a decent size younger than Donnie Yen is actually deliberate in the film you know and there's all this yeah. kind of stuff but everybody kind of it's kind of the characters are kind of written around yeah. them in a sense and, and you know their, their own characters and the characters that you're familiar with it really does that and Hong Kong cinema does does do that quite well I think they're like the, some of the Johnny Toe films are the mm. The, the noughties, you know, really built on, oh, you remember this one guy from this, you know, you remember when... <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, you remember when Ashley Wong was in that film, uh, <laughs> you know, and they've got the same haircuts or whatever. But, but this one really just excels at kind of lining up the, these, you know, you don't yeah, have to have all that history. Agree. Also, you, you don't get the history. It's not explained exactly no, what no, these connections no, are. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the great things about this as well, which kind of, it ties into slightly the mystery element, but also like if you are... As a lot of people watching are going to be a fan of the you know this kind of martial arts wuxia genre, then you're going to pick up some of like the traditional tensions or character dynamics or relationships and everything like that, just from the sort of classic the classic genre setups. I mean, it doesn't take it takes them all in slightly different ways, which is great about this film as well. But um, it it is very nicely rooted in the kind of classical genre form, which is another real strength for it and everything. Um, and especially like yeah, Donnie Yen's character. And everything mm. like that. It's just, you know, he's he's playing, playing to type sounds like damning with faint praise, but but at the same time, it, it's if we compare it to like his Man performances, you know what I mean? Yeah. Everything like that's here, you can see him going. There's an there is one like really, not just one great scene in this one, but he's when he's talking to your man Takeshi kind of share in in the inn, and everything, and he and he's giving him some. It's not the true story of his past. He's giving like a sob story about his past mm. and what's happened and everything. And Tang Wei's watching from outside with the kid, and she's all looking up at him from like real hopeful, like, "Oh, Donnie, how you doing, man?" And then Takeshi's in there like scrutinizing everything he says, and then you, you know, he, he's coming out a sob story, looking a bit sad. But then you just catch at the end, just like this flash of like, you know, something like something is like smoldering and like boiling within him. And his acting is actually really good in this film. I mean, I, I guess, I mean, you know, I. I probably go on record as previously you know but mm. 
Donnie Yen isn't always a great actor. He is. He has been known to seriously get on the phone and just he'll be there. Hello, <laughs> yes, yes. I'm on the phone. Well, this, 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 this is my performance. Yeah, it's, it's him and the director's fault and the way he's going into stuff. So, but I, I agree with you absolutely. And you know, I mean, I, I think yeah, one of the worst examples was Empress and the Warriors. <laughs> um, I haven't yeah. put myself through Iceman too. I have to say, uh, no, I don't think I ever will. I, but, but but when he's there, yeah. he can be very very good and can really throw himself into stuff. Absolutely. And this film particularly, yeah. I think you know actually I, I was whenever I was thinking about Donnie and this completely. I mean, it, it took me by surprise that he was just so good and that, yeah. that Peter just got such a great, absolutely great performance out of it. No, I totally agree. I think it was his. It's probably his best film since Mismatch Couples. <laughs> for which for, for anyone who's not aware, it's his uh, his breakdancing one from the eighties in which he's goes through a whole range of emotions, most of which are funky. With Donnie Yen on Dragon and also with Jet Li on The Warlord, you, you, you've been getting superb performances from actors who are really mainly known for their action roles. Uh, what's your secret, or do you think the problem is that they're often not given the chance? I think the secret is because I'm not an action director, and that's mm-hmm. it. I mean, there's no other secret. You know, there's, it's not rocket science. You know, you've given an action star to a non-action director, uh, and then, you know, he's going to have to find ways to, uh, I mean, the director would have to find ways to make them look better in his film that sets these actors apart from other films that he's seen. And and it's when they're with me, I mean, it works to my strengths because uh, most of these actors have not been given a chance to show who they really are inside, you know, except their action skills. So to me, it's like working with with virgin territory. It's like you're working with. I mean, it's actually harder to work with very accomplished character dramatic, you know, actors because yeah. they've been exploited left and right, you know, all different, I mean, they've played so many different roles. When you work with action stars, because they've not been exploited in other areas but action, then it, it gives you a lot more options. And then and then my method, uh, which I don't think uh, any director would differ, I think all directors would use the same way, is to try to talk to them and befriend them and try to know who they really are and write their characters into the role. I mean, that's the only thing mm-hmm. I did, you know. I In Warlords, um, the role of Jet Li was very similar to Jet Li's in person. I mean, mm-hmm. Jet Li's aggressive. He's very, he wouldn't kowtow to authority. Uh, that's what took him, you know, uh, made him left China very early on. And uh, even when he came to Hong Kong, he did not uh, bow to the studio system in Hong Kong, decided to start his, to start his own company. And in that respect, he's exactly like the character in Wolves, mm. you know. And um, you know, and and so is Donnie. I mean, Donnie is very, very much a family man. And 
and uh, and I think he has a lot of um, uh, repressed emotions inside him of of how people see him, and 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 uh, because Tony is also very much uh, 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 very different internally as opposed to what what people sell him as, uh, you know, the big action star. You know, Donnie's a very accomplished piano player. I mean, his family's, um, I think he, he, he inherited two very extreme uh, ability and artistry from, from his parents. I mean, first, he's, his, his father is, is an intellectual uh, newspaper editor and writer, and his mother is both a martial artist and also a musician. And uh, so Tommy is a very accomplished pianist. So he's got this this very extremes of two sides that he's yeah. both an action guy and he's also an artist. And um, and in that way, you it's very much like uh, the character we're playing, who's very evil, but at the same time he's a nice nice father. He's he's a very ordinary man who loves his family and is trying to live you know a life you know a quiet life. So in a way, what you do is you try to appeal, you know, you try to dig into the actor's life and character and past and try to make the character appealing to the actor by getting them involved in a way that they feel like they're, they're telling their own stories and people get more gung-ho and excited when they're telling their own stories, you know. But he's, no, but he's great in this one. He, and he does, he, the way he switches between you know, his sort of final man, nice to everyone, but it's not like an act. He is genuinely, this is his life now and everything. Yeah. Towards like getting like, you know, we start seeing like, say the bad boys moment where he, you know, he comes out and he's fighting. But even then it's like, there's all the conflict in him all the way through. And he does a very good job of bringing that kind of conflict out and everything. As somebody who, it's not like, oh, I'm a completely different person now. It's like, you know, I've accepted this kind of conflict within me and this is my decision about how to live my life type of thing. So it's 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 got a lot of character depth in it mm. and everything and, and the acting is I mean Tang Wei doesn't have too much to do, but she was. I think she's of, very solid in, in in what she does and and I think that that comes across. Yeah, she's, quite she's well. pretty good. She's this is interesting thing. Um, again, it's one of those things that I I always thought was was quite unexpected, but that they're, and this seems to come from her character that they're using contraception. Yeah, yeah, that, that is very. So there's unusual. always mm. this idea that. She knows there's something about him that she's not quite sure about. Yeah, and there's kind of even like during later stages and mm. stuff where it's coming out. There's kind of a mixture of, you know, practicality or like you know this is our this is our life. This is what we're doing. You know, we have to get through this stuff. We have to make these decisions and stuff. So, but yeah, it's just you know she she was kind of in her bounce back periods. Mm, well, I mean she was the lost yeah the lost caution thing kind of. Her, her real kind of breakthrough role and then she got pretty much banned she was banned and I yeah. think she went to Reading yeah yeah and one of our uh, our regular uh, collaborators and uh, regular Eastern <laughs> Kicks writer I'm sure he, he said he used to see her at um, Reading University that's so wild that's so bizarre why? I mean no offence no offence to Reading fans easy who are now, listening easy but you know it just seems I'm like sure it. we've got a lot of listeners in, in, in Reading so. oh I've no doubt we do now but yeah. not, it's just a strange choice I guess just because why why not anyway mm. but this was yeah because she made speed angels as well which was a comeback which was jingle man who did like the tokyo region it's pretty terrible speed but yeah she was as a comeback film yeah it, this was 
given how popular this was in China and everything, that was mm. a good move. And it's it's not I mean, when I say she doesn't have too much to do. I mean traditionally the female roles wouldn't have that much to do in those yeah. films anyway. So at least here she has more her background role, like you say, has more still to do with actual the plot and the characters and everything. So mm. um, you know it's still it was still a good role for her. Put it that way. Just think she's one of those really you know very good Chinese actresses and quite a lot of the roles she gets she doesn't seem to the same have too much to do with some yeah, of those films yeah, and everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean there's some other interesting people in this because I, I mm. when I didn't kind of remember at the time but you know was really didn't take too much notice but it's uh, Jiang Wu is in there as one of the supporting That's cast. Right, yes. Yeah. Um who, who actually at this point was very very much in the shadow of his brother mm. Jiang Wu and you know and only kind of really emerged with a touch of sin. Yeah. And it was Wrath of Silence. Wrath of Silence, yeah. yeah. No, he, he's, yeah, he's a good actor as well. And he, I, he's always probably going to just, it, doesn't, it sounds bad to say it, but yeah, he's, unless there's some big step up, I mean, he's he's probably going to stay at that kind of level of people, I guess. You know, he's he has a lot of these roles in other films as well, which, mm. I, which I've not realized he was actually in the film. Yeah. Sorry, this sounds quite mean and everything. It, it, but, it, but he was, he, I mean, he, I, I think he's, he's got a little more, uh, you know, a little more lead role kind of. He's got more, to, you know, yeah. in that direction. There was, you know, at this point. Um, he's a good actor and everything. He's so a really solid actor. You know, yeah. it's, it's a shame. Like, he should get more stuff. And I think it kind of brings us all to, to the discussion about the casting of Jimmy Wang Yu and the connections <laughs> of this film to Definitely. One Arm Swordsman. You know, I mean, that's. And he, he, really, is, he is really good in this film as well. Like, it wasn't this, it wasn't planned in the beginning. No, that's what was going to be our question. Yes, when did he yeah, come it's, involved? It's, it's sort of it's sort of strange that we didn't think of that in the beginning of the film. <laughs> and uh, we were writing the script as as I said when when we finally got the script into into shape that that we know this is the movie we're going to make. We were scratching our heart head trying to find the right actor to play the father. Because, first of all, you've got this character that never appears in the movie until the ending. Mm -hmm. And uh, he only has, like, very short screen time to build his presence. Yeah. You only talk about him, and you don't want his appearance to be to be a disappointment to the audience because you all brag about him throughout the film. Mm -hmm. And then how do you find someone powerful, a powerful villain that, that has that kind of presence, but at the same time, you need to build the compassion between him and his son. So it's it's not a clear cut black and white character that you could you could just hate. I mean you you I mean I have to make Donnie Yen cry when he's about to kill him. So so it's 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 not an easy road to pass. Yeah. So um, we you know actually into the beginning of production because that role is not that actor is not required according to the schedule until the end of the shoot. Yeah, we're, pro we're shooting his part last. So as we begin production, uh, I remember we were already on location, and one day it pops to my mind that why why are we just scratching our head? Why don't we just go get Jimmy? Mm -hmm. You know, first of all, Jimmy is has that presence. He was a big superstar and. Uh, Look at the caliber of, of Donnie Yen and, and even Bruce Lee before Donnie, and um, and the thing is that kind of of hardcore hero, you know, hard man, that kind of character, uh, that kind of character that 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 is in his presence, is something that 
could not be tarnished by time. And for people who have seen him, uh, you know, once in a while when he appears on tabloids and stuff in the last few years, he, he looks as good as he was. Yeah. Except yeah. that he actually has more edge mm-hmm. and, um, and, um, and, uh, uh, looks tougher. Yeah. And, and if, if you know about some of the off screen story about how, how, how violent he is in person, you know, when, when he gets intimidated, uh, getting into fights when he was young and, and getting into fights all the time, you know, uh, brawling with more than 10 point people, uh, with just him and his two, two fists, uh, and all those stories about him, uh, fascinates the Chinese audience that, that knew, that knew who he was, you know. And uh, and all that off-screen and on-screen presence together adds to the aura around Jimmy that made him the perfect person for the role. And at the same time, because he was a leading man for a long time, the screen hero, and that kind of compassion uh, stays, you know, stayed with him. So so it's someone that you actually could sympathize and empathize with towards the end of the film. You know, it's not a villain that you just want to hate. So I I gave him a call. I don't know him personally. I gave um, uh, a friend who knows him very well a call, and he called him. And then Jimmy just happened to have seen Warlords, and he said, um, "If this is a director of Warlord, I'll do it." Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and then he you know he showed up on set you know within a week, and we decided to shave his head. Uh, his, you know, shake him and and give him a bold um, look, and um, and he's perfect, you know. Yeah. I mean, he needs no direction, you know. So, um, I mean, and he is fantastic. I mean, it made me really want to see Jimmy Wang you a lot more, you know, just kind of reminded me of how much I missed all the the films yeah. in the sixties and seventies that he, that he's in and, and has such a yeah. striking presence. So I think the interesting thing in it, um, is that the, as as Peter Chan said to me that this does build on less on Jimmy Wang in terms of his what we see on film and, mm. and particularly as the one armed swordsman character who is, mm. is is like the Donnie Yen character is a very sympathetic yeah. um, guy and it's interesting in that context um, I'm sure we'll probably do a special on the one armed swordsman series but <laughs> Definitely. you know the, 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 the series it it's actually I mean, it's quite an early kind of very uh, reasonably kind of macho wuxia film. Uh, it, more than reasonably kind of macho, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's oh, super masculine. I'd say. I, would, I would say it's probably not as masculine as some of the other kind of Chang Che films like The Assassin, which is a bit before, and some of the other ones. But he does mm. get to walk away yes. at the end of the, the first film. But then mm. in Return of the One Arm Swords, when he gets okay, brought yeah. back into it, which again, you know, actually does feed into. Yeah, this film yeah. that's true yeah 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 but th- th- this was much less about the character that we saw Jimmy Wang you play but yeah. actually more of his reputation in real life of wanting to get mm. in scraps and yeah 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 <laughs> but no, it's just his when it, when his character is in there and you, you have like that super menacing like scene where they sit at the table and they're having dinner together and he's trying to get the kid to eat some beans and everything like that I mean it's he's he has a real presence in this film Mm. as well and I think for even who people who who watch this film maybe don't necessarily know who he is and everything like that when he, whenever he comes in he 
He really dominates the screen, kind of. Like. I mean, it's supposed to. I mean, you can mm. see, like, poor like, Donnie Yen's character is kind of reduced to a slightly childhood state, like, oh, shit, yeah. it's me da, me da. And, <laughs> and uh, that's a great scene in the dinner. Mm. And the other kind of thing that, that, that I, I think is really impressive in, about this film is the way that it, it looks. Yeah, so the, the cinematographer... Jake Paul. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I mean, it does, it does have a very distinctive look. Definitely. I like, I like yeah. the, you know, I mean, they, they obviously, they, they, they built the sets of the town. It's quite mm. impressive. It's almost, as a point where Donnie Yen's kind of walking into it, it's almost got a slightly <laughs> Hobbiton kind of feel I gonna, to yeah, it. I was going to say, like, Hobbits or Ewoks. Because yeah. there's grass. <laughs> well, it's because yeah. of the detail. There's grass on the roofs yeah. of every building. And I don't know why, but it looks, yeah. it looks very nice. And yeah. the whole thing looks so green and organic. Like, oh, you see, whenever anyone's in the river or the pond, it's like uh, some... Swarovski type of stuff. You can see the reeds floating underneath the surface. Everything. It's, it's and I, I really like that scene. So at the beginning, you have the, uh, the thief yeah, being yeah, kind yeah. of, and he's been, he's been killed, and he's just floating away in the water. Mm-hmm. And it is like the pre-Raphaelite uh, Millet <laughs> exactly. painting of Ophelia. Yeah. It's really got that same. And the weeds thing. like yeah. floating. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. But and it, it kind of goes to these. I mean, it seems very considered. It's kind of going to aerial shots, and you know, it's not when you tend to see that a lot nowadays and it's very mm. obviously CGI or even kind of very kind of drone. Yeah. You know, people just kind of do it because they can, I think. <laughs> but it just, it, everything feels so very well considered. I love working with Jake and it's our first collaboration and uh, it's, it's, it's just fantastic working with him. But Jake is all about lighting. Mm. I mean, the best thing about Jake that, that one of the, one of his best ability is his, his willingness to go the distance in terms of lighting, period, uh, night scene with minimal or even without lighting. We shot uh, a lot of scenes with very experimental method uh, by not using a lot of lights. I think mm-hmm. the problem is I, I'm very... I mean, I started making period films a few years ago, starting with Warlords, yeah. and, and I find it completely... Uh, uh, unbelievable and unauthentic that most of our night scenes are shot with tons of lights. Yeah. And and when you're working when when you're in a rural area, it's impossible <laughs> that I mean you should actually shoot the night scene completely dark and black, yeah. you know, and just just stop the sound, you know, because people don't see, you know, at night. <laughs> but however, every time we shoot night scenes, you know, the traditional lighting method by Hong Kong photographers, cinematographers, were, you know, you would like the whole village, you know, and everything looks as if it's, you know, it's really very well lit, uh, because that's how you see what's going on in the movie, but, but it's so not authentic, so with Jake, I, I, I try to push him to, to sort of, not exactly like how Sandy Kubrick did it in, in Barry Lyndon, but but as much as we can, we'll use source lighting, source lighting instead of using, you know, big, you know, studio lights. And and he agreed. And, you know, somehow he has his way of doing even candle lights that is very dim, even when we're on set, on location. And I was pretty amazed, you know, uh, that we could actually catch images on film uh, because... It looked very dim even when I was on location. And and last year when I was in Venice, I was talking to Michael Mann about it because he was using 
uh, uh, Ichido, uh, for collateral, and the only reason was because he wanted to shoot Night LA, and he wanted to be authentic, so he, so he used digital cameras. And, and I have not used digital camera until my last movie, which mm. is the, the next one, not mm. yep. Wuxia, yeah. not Dragon. And when I did Dragon, and it was still using film, and I was quite amazed that we actually caught something on film. But that's, that's one of the, other than his movements and, and his, his use of color, his aesthetics, which is completely compatible to mine. We, we spend a lot of time talking about aesthetics, color, and what period China should look like. And, and, um, especially the lush green that we want to be the main palette of the film. Yeah. Uh, but the most important thing, I think the most important accomplishment is how, he shot night scenes. Because it's this idea of not having every scene totally bright, brightly lit, mm-hmm. that you have more of a natural setting. So there's bits when he's walking in the woods and you can't make everything out. It's in this Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I, and it, this is kind of a, an interesting thing because people, you hear time and time again, mm. people complain about about <laughs> that. And I remember, um, you know, kind of going to Western productions, but there was massive complaints about the adaption of Wolf Hall the having Tudor style lighting, <laughs> and then I think it's happened again with the the luminaries, and they they're going on. Oh, it's it's not lit up like a you know like a studio. It's like well, it's it's not a studio. It's uh, no, it's, no, it's, it's sure. going to get the natural lighting at the time. So there's this really idea of of trying to get. But I think I think in this film's case, like I think, and this would be something interesting to you know to look into more. Is like. How much does the noir feeling come from that kind of lighting stuff? Because there's so many shots where they're sitting inside, there's a bit of candlelight and everything yeah. like that. So there's there's a really really skillful kind of merging of um, that kind of noir kind of angle, yeah. that kind of mystery. Yeah. I think with this kind of like supernatural lighting. So when we're seeing this kind of supernatural, as in super space natural, not supernatural. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like the scenes, scenes of characters sitting inside, whether it's Donnie or kind of Cheryl, like having his, one of his many ponderings in the film, where they're just lit by a small candle, kind of like flickering or something. And it, lo- it looks great. And it does look super like mysterious and everything like that. And I think that's what kind of gives this film this kind of other, uh, not otherworldly, but it, it, it does give it this kind of ambiguity and kind of sense of like a, what's actually happening with these characters, where are they going? But it's not, you wouldn't, you could never call this film like hyper-stylized or anything, despite it's some of it's like medical, oh, you know, here's a close-up of like a wound or something like that, which might have broken inside the x-ray scenes and everything that, like that. That side of it kind of reminded me, and I guess it's, this could well have been a bit of an influence, but it mm. reminded me of sort of things like House MD, whatever it was called. The, the... Uh, yeah, I know, but I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't watch it. Like, but So it could be, could be. But I mean, I, they work. But that comes back to something we talked about before. I think that kind mm. of like combination of like the tradition and the modernity. Mm. So some of the stuff which he's talking about, like oh, this this wound happened at this time, everything decays, which I think is very cool as well. It's and, and also, I mean, the other thing is 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 looking at watching it again, is you get that same mix in the score, which is yes, definitely. You know, by by uh, Kwong Wing Chan, Peter Cam, and Cha Chai Pong Param Pan. They're who have collaborated with Peter Chan several times, so they oh, the soundtrack okay. to all Lords and so on. But particularly yeah. here, it's got this weird mix. So it's a real quite, big mix, right? But it works. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel again. It's one of those things where you think, well, some of it. Sometimes it feels very, very modern. Sometimes mm. it feels very orchestral, and it's quite playful in places. Yeah, and everything, right? Yeah. And you, you got some classic kind of like detective theme things where when he's snooping around and like picking stuff up. So 
It's it's a very cool score and everything, mm. definitely. And for someone like Peter Chan to make a film called Wuxia, there's always you knew he was going to do something special with it, or and he does with yeah. this one definitely. It's it's a fun. It is a great film, Wuxia. So then we come to the title off, and we come to the the different version of the film Wuxia versus what becomes another very generic name, but one that has absolutely no, no meaning. To do with anything. Dragon. <laughs> Um, of all the names you could possibly pick. Uh, so when I spoke to Peter, he was very candid about the, the pressure that was put on him for the Weinstein Company uh, to make enough. these changes. Well, it's uh, it's the um, uh, distributor, Weinstein Company, who's uh, who probably, you know, who has a better understanding of, of Western audience. Uh, and I'm, I'm always uh, very adaptable to that. I mean, sometimes... Uh, as a producer, I know that uh, films are made to different audience, and different audience have different perspectives and different different backgrounds, and also different knowledge of films that that would give them different uh, opinions on a film. And uh, I respect that as a producer. But of course, uh, my other role as a director, when you're trying to give you your best version for the film, of course, there's always conflict there. And and I I mean in my last twenty odd years of career I've been I've been I've been at both sides of the table and I've yeah. always been especially lately I I've always hold both position I produce my own film so I always get to to balance two out and try to try to see it as objective as I can and uh, not without a lot of pain and not yeah. without a lot of uh, struggle, internal struggle. But, but uh, you know, sometimes it takes a month or two or even three to get to a more rational decision. Mm-hmm. And I think the Western cut, you know, the the, uh, the cut that you see is, is a, a compromise uh, between the director side of me and the producer side of me. Yeah. And uh, and uh, it did take a few months, even though it's just not a lot of cuts. But it did, did take a few months for me to internalize it and digest it and 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 accept it, you know. But but um, it's it's just a process you have to go through, you know, uh, to when you want to get your film out to the audience that is not of the same background and culture. Uh, I mean, it is what it is. I yeah. guess at the end of the day, I mean, it's quite a philosophical approach to it i mean again at the end of the day your film is always still like a business if you're going to sell a film um i I think he's probably being fairly diplomatic when he talks about the idea of it reaching a wider audience well for us certainly i guess you know it's fair to say like if it's subtitled that's the barrier we're not like cutting out you know x amount of content or anything that are changing it Mm. culturally subtitled is subtitled and that's that's the kind of the jump and for people who watch something like martial arts films or wuxia films or anything like that i mean they're there's nothing in there which would put them off. It doesn't make sense in terms of if you're going to do it, well, yeah, fine. Dub it. Dub it. And Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, so <laughs> it's a, it'll be great. But this is, you know, it's still a subtitled, you know, Chinese film. So it, I, I, I'm baffled by that one. I mean, even like, without Dragon Snowpiercer into the mix, like, you know, that, I'm not saying it made sense, but that was like an English language mm. film. Or this was a Chinese language film. And it didn't. What were you gonna? It wasn't, yeah. yeah, it wasn't like a massive billboard planned release. So I, I, I have no idea why they bothered. It just doesn't seem worth the money and the time that we've gone into doing that. It seems. Uh, I mean, particularly with uh, the certain person who headed up the Weinstein Company, 
that it was just his... <laughs> Whose name will go unmentioned. <laughs> but he was him throwing his weight around. I mean, he's the guy who tried to yeah. take on Studio Ghibli and... True, and, true. You know, and get them to bend to his will. Um, <laughs> uh, but, it, it, you know, it, it, it is problematic because I think the one problem that most people and probably a lot of people listening to this podcast will have is actually mm. seeing... The Wuxia version of it. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think right. that there. I mean, I was never a fan of the Dragon Cuts. I don't think it's a terrible film, and you know, and I mean, it's widely available on Netflix. So. I saw. I mean, I saw Dragon like a long time after I saw Wuxia. Mm. So for me, it was just more like a curiosity. When I watched Dragon again recently, um, you know, prep for this and everything like that. Yeah, you can, you can see the cuts they made. They, they it's mostly from the first, the first half where they just take out plot. But I, mm. I still struggle to. Unless genuinely the aim was to cut it down by, um, and I do have I have the stat. Go on it. <laughs> I have the stats here according to our some people on the internet. So there was 90, 92 differences, including eight recuts, fourteen instances of additional footage in the international version, four instances of alternative footage, which resulted in a total difference running time one thousand and two point seven seconds or sixteen point four three minutes in PAL speed. I mean, why, I mean, fuck, why bother? What's the point? I mean, what's how's that gonna you know affect your bottom line if people actually watch it mm. when it's not rolled out across multiplexes? I mean, it came into cinemas briefly and stuff, but there's never going to be a big no release, and it's still you know the the old one inch barrier is a old bunch of was talking about for Parasite, but I I that's I completely agree. When it's subtitled, it's subtitled. It's you know you've already sort of given up your chance to try and hit the you know the no, kind of audience pop- the, the, yeah. the general populous so it just it just seemed pointless and it is just such a shame that yeah. you can't get the yeah you, you have thought maybe somebody might have done like a dual release or like picked you know done something i mean i suppose it's i seem to remember having a conversation with somebody who was working at or with metrodome at the time and they were trying to get a dual release and trying to get for the uk i mean i'm yeah. not surprised it's pretty but this is the problem with the 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 Whiting Company cuts is that they make sure mm. you cannot get hold of those other that's versions. In... No, yeah, no, you're right. That's kind of the knock-on effect, which is a shame. Like for for new people who are discovering this, film, they'll see it on Netflix. Um, and Dragon's not terrible. No, it's not terrible. Exactly. All, but, it, it's, but it's, it's not it's, quite the film as as, as the way it should be. And, that, and that's the and that's the overbearing pointless. Yeah. You could probably take a lot of films. You can maybe cut ten minutes out of them, lose a bit of nuance, subtlety, and everything, and they're not. As good a film, mm. but doesn't make them actually a bad film. But what's the point? Yeah, and like you say, throwing his weight around such as it is or was, um, I just don't get it. I have to be honest with you. This one cut cutting the film it just baffles me. I guess it makes it a bit faster moving by cutting fifteen minutes out of it. But you're, I don't know. According to that, um, no doubt impeccable source on that website and everything like that, they actually cut quite a, f- a few bits of some of like the martial arts scenes towards the end you know like th- this scene was hmm. going on too long so we'll cut it down just because they I guess they thought like maybe western <laughs> this bizarre small target audience of western viewers who don't watch martial arts films who don't know anything about Chinese martial arts films but who still have an interest in watching this Chinese martial- <laughs> are going to think oh this scene is four or five minutes maybe it should be one minute it's a mystery to me why they did it like you say Dragon is fine but it's just it, it is just wishy with 16 minutes and 43 seconds cut out. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, man, there, there's no there's no benefit to that. And it 
you know, it did very well in China at the box office. Mm. It was a big hit. Uh, popular in Hong Kong in the West. Has it done anything? Not really. Has it really converted any fans to it? Has it furthered Peter Chan or anything? No, not mm. at all. You know, it's a shame. So I, I think it is definitely one of Johnny Yen's best films. Definitely. Has to be said. Yeah. Mismatch Couples, number one. <laughs> this this is going to come in the top five, definitely. And I also think it's probably actually the best example of the... Well, I mean, obviously it's into the teens, but, you know, the, the tens that were, but the sort of, you, that stretch of noughties right. it's to, much better to tens. Than, it's much um, better than all those ones. Absolutely. Ab- ab- absolutely, it's better. And it also, it has a cow going down a waterfall. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the cow goes down the waterfall, which I'm sure was CGI, but it's pretty good CGI, but the cow does go down the waterfall. So. <laughs> It's a good film. It's a classic. It is an unsung classic. Okay, and now it's time for Eason Kicks Picks. And we move from Dragon to uh, (laughs) Into the Fat Dragon. (laughs) How dare you, sir! Oh, I was looking. Anyway. Well, the shoe fits. Yeah. And, um, yeah, starring Donnie Yen again. Donnie Yen as well. And, uh, and, and, and Wong Jing. And Wong Jing. Um, and <laughs> with a strong connection to yeah, Wuxia Dragon. I mean, absolutely. I mean, so, so this is coming out now in the, the US. So this is coming out via WorldGo USA. It's going to be yes. out on digital and Blu-ray from the 14th of July. Well, yeah, I, honestly, I have to say... Very very pleasantly surprised. This uh, this mm. was a great. I want to say, man, it's a great film. It's uh, it, it's completely kind of old school, yeah, Hong Kong. But at the same, I mean, personally, I am, you know, for my sins, like still kind of a fan of like Wong Jing, it is, <laughs> it is finest and everything. But if you could, if you, so, um, yeah, I, I figure at points. At points, yeah, yeah. I'm still gonna <laughs> I'm still gonna support Wong Jing. I guess I you know no matter what else, but. If you kind of take his kind of lowbrow commitment, mm. we can say, or you know, it's kind of trying to tap into basically anything that happens anywhere, and you combine it, so it's where it's co-directed by like Kenji Tanigaki, who also worked on and like did the stunt card for stuff like you know the Ruryoni Kenshi series, mm. uh, but oh, yeah. he'd he'd also worked with Donnie before on Wuxia yeah. slash Dragon, yeah, SPL Flashpoint and lots of other films, everything so. He's, I think you can see that as well. Oh, oh well, definitely. I mean, we'll get into that, but the, oh, the, you can see, kind of see that, yeah, I mean, and, and Donnie Yen is built with, mm. again, we're doing the choreography himself, but you can see he's yes, working with yes. somebody who's very, yeah, they, they, they work they very work well together. together, yeah. Absolutely. And there's, I think that's one of the things about this whole film, for me, it just, everything about it just fits together really nicely. You know, it is, personally for me, very funny, yeah. still. I mean, it's got all the fat suit gags. It's worth pointing out. It's not compared to like what you think from a, a Wong Jing thing. It's not actually that low brow, and it there. It's not like fat shaming, to say like mm. it's not like making fun of him, or anything like that. It's more like a like a love on the diet, kind of throwback type thing. You know, like Andy Lau and Sammy Chang. It's not making fun of him at all. Mm. And he's still like getting. He's still doing all his martial arts and stuff like that and everything. In some ways, that you know, it's it's a bit of a gimmick, but it's never used too distastefully. Mm. Until we got a a pricey of the the mm. story. So the story, yeah, I mean, it's, it's and it's kind of it's classic nineties Hong classic Kong story, kind of uh, throwback yeah. to yeah. the the Samurai. Yeah, it is, and and, and it's also kind of like thrown back to some a lot of like the nineties Hong Kong films yeah. with the yeah, yeah. wanting to get a Japanese market. So you'd start off in Hong Kong, then suddenly we're going to Japan to track <laughs> criminals. 
So like Donnie Yen's like this super, super overzealous officer, but only because he wants to be nice to everybody. And his girlfriend's like Nikki Chow, the, the TV actress. Uh, he's pretty good in it as well. And she's getting more and more annoyed at him because she's yeah. like, she's an actress as well who's doing like martial arts films and stuff, but always has like stunt doubles doing stuff for her and everything. But she's getting overshadowed with the fact that everything he does goes full Michael Bay and he ends up like destroying lots of stuff. <laughs> but in, in the name of righteousness, of course. And he's always very, very sorry about it. But eventually, you know, he get, he so he gets, he makes a lot of chat as well about you know, eat well, eat healthy, everything like that. But then he gets demoted to being like a, the evidence officer in the basement. And he just starts eating this food. junk food. Junk he can't stop it. The... And she like leaves him and everything because he's too obsessed with helping people. Um, and then by like one of these wonderful kind of coincidences, he he's kind of like sent to go to Tokyo, to look after like an AV film director who's <laughs> also like a, a witness in some like you know yakuza the case he goes over there and like bang she's over there as well because she's now got a career in japan working and stuff so suddenly donnie's like and he he has to help this director and of course who goes missing as soon as he gets there so he links up with uh his old police sergeant's best friend played by wong jing who's called thor mm. and i assume this is some kind of avengers thing you know from the last avengers film avengers fucking what endgame Thor is like you know overweight mm. so they keep calling Wong Jing's character Thor yeah in this film and so I think it's some kind of weird and that's classic Wong Jing some sort of off the cuff pop culture reference which is never explained yeah so I think it's that so him and like they, they start cutting about there's not much plot uh, but they kind of gradually get close to the Yakuza who are without spoiler who are of course the uh, the people who are looking after his girlfriend <laughs> and her you know work and everything and it all comes together but it's it's a lot more coherent than it sounds. It's actually a pretty good plot. It does feel quite wonderfully naive. It, as you say, it's kind of that 90s kind of thing that it throws back to, but it doesn't feel... Mm. It's all kind of done in quite a nice way. It is. And you like, know, it's, 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 uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty silly, but it's also mm-hmm. kind of reasonably kind of coherent. It's good, but genuinely good action scenes. Yeah. I mean, the, some know? of the, the actual... The, the, the stuff that goes on, like, the, like in the beginning, there's a... <laughs> The van, and you know, <laughs> so it's kind of, it kind of takes yeah. on uh, the special ID kind of car chase thing that we're doing, and they kind of do all the kind of stuff in that. And I mean, that came out about the same time there was a similar scene in the raid too. But this kind of takes it and just takes it to a whole new level again. I mean, and actually, in terms of fighting, it's absolutely kind of yeah. But then you you have one of the funniest jokes for one of these films for a while, like the the SPL. Joke everything that, where he keeps going about you. Know, you're fighting the guy, the the white suit guy, everything like that. Yeah. And you got like the Wu-Jang Piper. It's just Donnie Yen's like characters like just beating the hell out of this guy in the character. It's not me. It's not me. And anyway, and it comes up about three or four. Yeah, yeah, and it comes up about three or four times during the film. Uh, that was funny. I thought that was a nice nod. And again, less scattershot maybe than some other Wong Jing stuff mm. and everything. But even way the like usually for this kind of film like his romance with Nikki Chai would maybe you know take up too much of the plot here it just kind of like comes and goes and spikes yeah, and yeah. everything and even her character is fairly interesting so, so it's to me excellent film very good fight scenes more than anything great to see Donnie Yen having fun again yeah yeah definitely a, I, a change yeah. from It Man for and um, he was playing exactly. what a 60 70 year old <laughs> I, I, I was searching for my words to say politely about it man four then um sort of <laughs> La, aka lancashire it man yeah <laughs> but he he just didn't look like he was happy i mean we're not going to speak for him it's up to him like but you know 
this film he seems to be having fun and yeah, you can feel where he's kicking back you know and there's it, a bit of kind of behind the scenes I mean it also kind of feels like like the the good mm. kind of silliness of the, the, the kind of some, especially with the, some of the fight choreography as well the, the kind of Jackie Chan wheels on meals yeah yeah that kind of, very creative yeah, yeah it's very creative and I think in a way like calling it you know, Enter the Fat Dragon and some of the posters and stuff. It's quite mm. funny, you know, him like all fatted up and everything. But there's there, this genuinely works as a martial arts film. Yeah, and I think it's a better than easily oh, a lot more. <laughs> so some of the other ones over the last few years, like this is not just one of the. You know, I think it's a very funny comedy, but yeah. I think it's genuinely one of the better martial arts films for the last few years. Choreography is excellent for some scenes, like especially some of the final battle scenes. And everything like. Very nice, man. I hundred percent recommend it. I endorse it, hundred <laughs> percent. Have I uh, found, found uh, you know, whatever picks are there. Well, that's true. I do delve. I delve yes. too deeply sometimes. Yes. But um, on Amazon, I'll, I'll throw three things to you that I find. I, I'm not going to tell you they're new on Amazon. I'll just tell you they're new to me. No, mm. so. Amazon UK. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon Prime. <laughs> we have to kind of, uh, Amazon Prime as well. Yeah. Not, not bloody paid for either. <laughs> I, I can't afford it. Uh, the Prey, the Cambodian one. Yeah. Like the take on the most, uh, the most dangerous game. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good that's actually that's a very good film as well that's nice so that's um, just came across that recently as well on my recommended for me kind of section <laughs> everything and it's a good one it, it's this one where you don't really need the, the big screen necessarily so I think uh, it's a good chance for people to kind of you know see this kind of like a Cambodian action cinema it's not quite as good as like any kind of the raid or anything like that but it's still a very it's quite a hard hitting film mm-hmm. so I would definitely say watch The Prey it's hard to find because there's a lot of horror films called Pray, 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 or yeah. Pray for This, Pray for That, everything. But it's worth kicking that, you know. Number two, The Spy Gone North, which I yes. believe you've seen. I have seen, yes, yes. Uh, directed by Yoon Jong-bin, who also did Nameless Gangster and Kundo Age of the Rampant, <laughs> which, you know, as, as Tony Rain said during his intro, for that film, he's no idea why it's called that. <laughs> I'm not sure how rampant they are. That sounds a bit dodgy, but there you go. But it's I have more see him. You said it was pretty good, right? It's a very so yeah, it's a solid kind of a nice, interesting take on the spy drama. It's mm. real touches of sort of genre carrier via um, export goods. It's kind of bizarre. <laughs> true, true life. It's a uh, what Hong Jung Min and everything. Yeah, so. I know it was in it was at Cannes. Yeah, London, London Film Festival screening, I think. Stamp of quality. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to check that out as well, but. The one I would say the most, which I'm surprised to find on there, haven't watched it yet, uh, Savage, Chinese film, a 2019 film by uh, Sui Tsui, who who wrote the film as well. And he, you know, his, I think this is his debut film as a director, but he also wrote The Island, which is pretty good. He also wrote Bleeding Steel with Jackie Chan, which, you know... Not, 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 not so good. Not I watched it, but <coughs> watched ten minutes of it and stopped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jackie. Um, but yeah, no, it looks excellent. 
to be honest. Mm. It's a very it's a very good film. I was looking forward to seeing this film, so I was very surprised to <laughs> just find See, it somewhere. I normally do that. But it's got uh, it's got you men like Chan Chan and a, always a great actor, the Chinese actress Ni Ni. So it it looks like you know it's like kind of a, like a survival crime thriller, mm. which takes place um, on the snowy environs of uh, Mount Baekdu. But I'm looking forward to seeing that. And it's it's for me it's very interesting. This kind of film like drops on Amazon, yeah, with no yeah. fanfare at all because for yeah you know, I'm a fan of like Chinese films, so I'm always looking out for this stuff. I would have had literally no idea whatsoever this was there unless it had been. You know, kind of like second tier where I dive into second level. So that's it for this podcast. Mm. Do remember if you want to try and find Wusha, aka Dragon, you will have more success <laughs> finding him as Dragon. Um, if you've got thoughts on your favourite Wusha films, mm. then do let us know. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, yeah. Pinterest, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can subscribe to this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google, please Spotify, do, do. YouTube. <laughs> you can always find us. We're and very good. We're always there. We're always here. But for now. Well, cheers. Cheers. cheers.